Chapter 4, Part 3 of the Formation of Vegetable Moulds Through the Action of Worms with Observations on Their Habits by Charles Darwin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4, Part 3 The Part Which Worms Have Played in the Burial of Ancient Buildings. Roxeter, Shropshire. The old Roman city of Uriconium was founded in the early part of the second century, if not before this date and it was destroyed, according to Mr. Wright, probably between the middle of the 4th and 5th century. The inhabitants were massacred, and skeletons of women were found in the hypocausts. Before the year 1859, the sole remnant of the city above ground was a portion of a massive wall about twenty feet in height. The surrounding land undulates slightly, and has long been under cultivation. It had been noticed that the corn crops ripened prematurely in certain narrow lines, and that snow remained unmelted in certain places longer than in others. These appearances led, as I was informed, to extensive excavations being undertaken. The foundations of many large buildings and several streets had thus been exposed to view. The space enclosed within the old walls is an irregular oval about one and three-quarter mile in length. Many of the stones or bricks used in the buildings must have been carried away, but the hypocausts, baths, and other underground buildings were found tolerably perfect, being filled with stones, broken tiles, rubbish, and soil. The old floors of various rooms were covered with rubble. As I was anxious to know how thick the mantle of mould and rubbish was, which had so long concealed these ruins, I applied to Dr. H. Johnson, who had superintended the excavations and he, with the greatest kindness, twice visited the place to examine it in reference to my questions, and had many trenches dug in four fields which had hitherto been undisturbed. The results of his observations are given in the following table. He also sent me specimens of the mould, and answered, as far as he could, all my questions. Measurements by Dr. H. Johnson of the thickness of the vegetable mould over the Roman ruins at Roxeter. Trenches dug in a field called Old Works. 1. At a depth of 36 inches, undisturbed sand was reached. Thickness of mold in inches, 20. 2. At a depth of 33 inches, concrete was reached. Thickness of mold in inches, 21. 3. At a depth of 9 inches, concrete was reached. Thickness of mold in inches, 9. Trenches dug in a field called Shoplisos. This is the highest field within the old walls, and slopes down from a subcentral point on all sides at about an angle of two degrees. 4. Summit of field, trench, 45 inches deep. Thickness of mold in inches, 40. 5. Close to summit of field, trench, 36 inches deep. Thickness of mold in inches, 26. 6. Close to summit of field, trench 28 inches deep, thickness of mold in inches 28. Near summit of field, trench 36 inches deep, thickness of mold in inches 24. 8. Near summit of field, trench at one end 39 inches deep. The mold here graduated into the underlying undisturbed sand, and its thickness, 24 inches, is somewhat arbitrary. At the other end of the trench, a causeway was encountered at a depth of only seven inches, 
and the mold was here only seven inches thick. Thickness of mold in inches, twenty-four. Nine. Trench close to the last, twenty-eight inches in depth. Thickness of mold in inches, fifteen. Ten. Lower part of same field. Trench, thirty inches deep. Thickness of mold in inches, fifteen. Eleven. Lower part of same field. Trench, thirty-one inches deep. Thickness of mold in inches, seventeen. Twelve. Lower part of same field. Trench, thirty-six inches deep, at which depth undisturbed sand was reached. Thickness of mold in inches, twenty-eight. Thirteen. In another part of same field. Trench, nine and one-half inches deep, stopped by concrete. Thickness of mold in inches, nine and one-half. Fourteen. In another part of same field, trench nineteen inches deep, stopped by concrete. Thickness of mold in inches, nine. Fifteen. In another part of same field, trench twenty-four inches deep, when sand was reached. Thickness of mold in inches, sixteen. Sixteen. Another part of same field, trench thirty inches deep, when stones were reached. At one end of the trench, mold twelve inches, at the other end, fourteen inches thick. Thickness of mold in inches, thirteen. Small field between old works and shop lisos, I believe nearly as high as the upper part of the latter field. Seventeen. Trench, twenty-six inches deep. Thickness of mold in inches, twenty-four. Eighteen. Trench, ten inches deep, and then came upon a causeway. Thickness of mold in inches, ten. 19. Trench 34 inches deep. Thickness of mold in inches, 30. 20. Trench 31 inches deep. Thickness of mold in inches, 31. Field on the western side of the space, enclosed within the old walls. 21. Trench 28 inches deep, when undisturbed sand was reached. Thickness of mold in inches, 16. 22. Trench 29 inches deep when undisturbed sand was reached. Thickness of mold in inches 15. 23. Trench, 14 inches deep, and then came upon a building. Thickness of mold in inches 14. Dr. Johnson distinguished as mold the earth which differed, more or less abruptly, in its dark color and in its texture from the underlying sand or rubble. In the specimen sent to me, the mold resembled that which lies immediately beneath the turf in old pasture land excepting that it often contained small stones, too large to have passed through the bodies of worms. But the trenches above described were dug in fields, none of which were in pasture, and all had been long cultivated. Bearing in mind the remarks made in reference to Silchester on the effects of long-continued culture, combined with the action of worms in bringing up the finer particles to the surface, the mold, as so designated by Dr. Johnson, seems fairly well to deserve its name. Its thickness, where there was no causeway, floor, or walls beneath, was greater than has been elsewhere observed, namely, in many places above two feet, and in one spot above three feet. The mold was thickest on, and close to, the nearly level summit of the field called Shoplisos, and in a small adjoining field which, as I believe, is of nearly the same height. One side of the former field slopes at an angle of rather above two degrees, and I should have expected that the mould, from being washed down during heavy rain, would have been thicker in the lower than in the upper part, 
but this was not the case in two out of the three trenches here dug. In many places where streets ran beneath the surface, or where old buildings stood, the mould was only eight inches in thickness, and Dr. Johnson was surprised that in ploughing the land the ruins had never been struck by the plough as far as he had heard. He thinks that when the land was first cultivated, the old walls were perhaps intentionally pulled down, and that hollow places were filled up. This may have been the case, but if, after the desertion of the city, the land was left for many centuries uncultivated, worms would have brought up enough fine earth to have covered the ruins completely, that is, if they had subsided from having been undermined. The foundations of some of the walls, for instance, those of the portion still standing, about twenty feet above the ground, and those of the marketplace, lie at the extraordinary depth of fourteen feet. But it is highly improbable that the foundations were generally so deep. The mortar employed in the buildings must have been excellent, for it is still in parts extremely hard. Wherever walls of any height have been exposed to view, they are, as Dr. Johnson believes, still perpendicular. The walls with such deep foundations cannot have been undermined by worms, and therefore cannot have subsided, as appears to have occurred at Abinger and Silchester. Hence it is very difficult to account for their now being completely covered with earth. But how much of this covering consists of vegetable mould, and how much of rubble, I do not know. The marketplace, with the foundations at a depth of fourteen feet, was covered up, as Dr. Johnson believes, by between six and twenty-four inches of earth. The tops of the broken-down walls of a caladarium or bath, nine feet in depth, were likewise covered up with nearly two feet of earth. The summit of an arch, leading into an ash-pit, seven feet in depth, was covered up with not more than eight inches of earth. Whenever a building which has not subsided is covered with earth, we must suppose either that the upper layers of stone have been at some time carried away by man, or that earth has since been washed down during heavy rain, or blown down during storms, from the adjoining land. And this would be especially apt to occur where the land has long been cultivated. In the above cases, the adjoining land is somewhat higher than the three specified sites as far as I can judge by maps, and from information given me by Dr. Johnson. If, however, a great pile of broken stones, mortar, plaster, timber, and ashes fell over the remains of any building, their disintegration in the course of time, and the sifting action of worms, would ultimately conceal the hole beneath fine earth. CONCLUSION The cases given in this chapter show that worms have played a considerable part in the burial and concealment of several Roman and other old buildings in England. But no doubt the washing down of soil from the neighboring higher lands, and the deposition of dust, have together aided largely in the work of concealment. Dust would be apt to accumulate wherever old broken-down walls projected a little above the then existing surface, and thus afforded some shelter. The floors of the old rooms, halls, and passages have generally sunk, partly from the settling of the ground, but chiefly from having been undermined by worms, and the sinking has commonly been greater in the middle than near the walls. The walls themselves, whenever their foundations do not lie at a great depth, have been penetrated and undermined by worms, and have consequently subsided. The unequal subsidence thus caused 
probably explains the great cracks which may be seen in many ancient walls, as well as their inclination from the perpendicular. End of chapter 4, part 3